The nail in the coffin! Welcome to The Nail, episode number 36. Tom Valentino, joined as always by Travis Uli. We are recording on Thursday night. Trav, uh, how are you feeling as we get ready to roll into the uh, 4th of July weekend here? I'm feeling great. Tribe haven't lost in like two weeks. Uh, Cavs obviously got the title last week, and I think we're still probably soaking that in a little bit, but trying to make the transition into baseball and the... Uh, Indians are rewarding us for that, giving us something worth watching right now. Yeah, everything is coming up Cleveland, so uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, tribe in the process uh, here of uh, trying to extend it to 13 in a row. Uh, midway through against uh, Toronto tonight, uh, they are playing up north of the border. But uh, yeah, you know, you and I have been uh, fully immersed in the Cavs playoff run uh, straight through. Uh, right into uh, last week with uh, the, the championship celebration and everything else. It is uh, high time for us to shift gears and focus on the tribe. And we've got some catching up to do, but uh, the good news is uh, that we have uh, a guest tonight and a tremendous one at that. I'm very excited about this. I figured if we were going to get uh, caught up and uh, make up for lost time on the Indians, um, uh, this individual here uh, definitely was on uh, my short list because uh quite possibly the uh, sharpest and most dedicated Indians fan uh, that I know of anywhere uh, these days. Uh, T.D. Derry, uh, welcome to the nail. Wow, that was quite an intro. <laughs> Whoa, yeah, I he love really it. pumped you up there, didn't he? Well, listen, uh, hopefully I can live up to uh, my advanced billing, but I will agree with you. There's not many people that love the tribe uh, as much as I do. I mean, I know there's uh, there's a few of us, but uh, I, I, I breathe tribe baseball, man. This is this is it. I, I bleed Wahoo red, white, and blue. So that's this is my number one squad. While it was great that the Cavs won, nothing would mean more to me than than the World Series championship for the uh, for the Indians. You, uh, I do believe you were live tweeting an Indians game during the NBA Finals. So uh, I don't think anybody <laughs> wow. will ever uh, question your loyalty to the tribe. Well, you know it's funny. I here's the thing: when when LeBron left. The first time I kind of divorced myself from the NBA. I never loved the NBA the way I love baseball or, or college basketball or the NFL. And after LeBron left and the way he left, I just said, you know what? I'm done. I, uh, this, this isn't for me. I, I hated the entitlement of the NBA players. I hated the super team stuff and I was done. And when LeBron came back, I stuck with it. I did not watch until about, you know, I, I bet I didn't watch more than two games in the first year. And then I, you know, I watched the NBA finals, obviously. Uh, and then le- this season I went, to, I went to one game, I watched another one on television and then again, did not pick it up until probably the Eastern conference finals. And sure. I got into it and I went, and, and when they won the championship, I was with a big group of people and it was great. And I immersed myself, you know, I went to the parade just because it's Cleveland. I'm, I'm a born and raised Clevelander. So, uh, you know, I, I immersed myself in it that way, but when they won, I was with people that were crying, and I was just like, "All right, all right, Cleveland, this is great." But you know, if the Indians win win a World Series, I will sob like hardcore sob. You know, I'll be thinking <laughs> it's it's true. Was any part was any part of you a little disappointed that the Cavs won, so that like maybe the Tribe could be the one to do it? Okay, so I'll give you. First, <laughs> I'll take first, that as I'll first, take that as a first, soft first. yes. <laughs> First, I'll give you the uh, political correct answer. I just wanted one for Cleveland, and it was great that it happened for Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, now, deep yeah. down, deep down, part of me was – I'm not going to say upset because it's great. It really is. But, yeah, I wanted the Indians to be the one. Of course I did. I mean, I, I just – you know, now I feel like if the Indians do win, it, I, it won't mean as much to the city. Like this Cavs team, these guys are gods for life. You know, all of them, all the way down to Sasha Khan. You know, they these guys are gods for Let's life. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> you, I, I will tell you, okay, you remember the 95 Indians. I don't know how old you guys are, but I, I, I'm 40 years old. And I could name you still to this day, the 95 tribe. I was, you know, this fre- my freshman year in college. I can tell you the, the, the batting order right now, right, for sure. Everyone's going to remember those 
you know, 15 guys forever on this one particular Cavs team. But, you know, I, it's just, I don't know. I really, I, yes, I wanted it for the Indians first, but whatever. I'll take it second. I'll take it third, whatever it happens. I just want one before I die for the tribe. That's it. Well, here's the thing. Uh, the Indians might not be first, but they very well could be next because uh, this team has just um, had a phenomenal first half of the year. Uh, as we had mentioned earlier here, 12 wins in a row, uh, out in first place in the AL Central now by uh, six games, I believe, over Kansas City. Uh, TD, let me ask you, uh, did you ever envision uh, that the Indians would be in the position that they're in right now uh, midway through the year? I thought we were going to here, – here's what I thought going in. I, I had us being about an 85-win team. And mostly because of the pitching, I thought our rotation was going to be fantastic. I didn't realize that, uh, you know, that Cody Anderson was going to completely implode. Although I did say all winter that he was the guy to deal for a bat because his his stock was never going to be as high. But uh, I, yeah, I thought we I thought we'd be hanging around. No way did I think we'd be 17 games over 500 on June 30th. And anybody who tells you that they thought that. Give me whatever you're smoking because you know, they're just not not happening. Yeah, especially considering how the tribe have started in the last few years. I mean, they've always been notorious slow out of the gate and kind of pick up steam as the season goes along. So, and and we said that when we previewed the season a few weeks ago. Like, yeah, if, if they just need to come out and you know not put themselves in a ten game hole, um, I don't think. Tino, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think if you told me, yeah, there'll be 17 games above 500 uh, at the end of June, I would have said, uh, yeah, you're nuts. Um, I'll take it, but I'm not I'm not sure I'm buying it. I, I never would have um, expected them to be this far uh, above the uh, the 500 mark at this juncture. But um, if you recall, and I mean, you mentioned a few weeks, it, it's hard to believe that this season's kind of flown by. It was actually, it's been a few months since we uh, really uh, dove into the tribe uh, head first when we were uh, doing the preview and whatnot. But uh, I, I was bullish on them. I did think that they could win the division this year. But again, like I think just about everybody else, I kind of figured uh, hang around, hang around, and then just try to get hot down the stretch, maybe make a trade at the deadline. And, you know, that's something that we could certainly dive into as, uh, as we go along here. But uh, TD, let me ask you this. I mean, the Indians right now, at their current winning percentage, they're on pace to win 99 games uh, by the end of the year. How sustainable do you think uh, this model is for them and, and the way they're playing? Okay, so obviously they're never they're they're not going to sustain you know a 12 game winning streak or whatever. That that's that's obviously not going to happen. But you know you play 500 ball the rest of the way, and and I think they'll win nine they'll win 90 games if they play 500 ball the rest of the way. That is that that's at this point the way the AL Central is. 90 games is going to win you that division. I mean, the White Sox have fallen off. You know, they're, they even brought up one of their top prospects today. First game broke his foot. <laughs> Matt wow. Davis, their third. Yeah, first game. Um, I don't see them as a threat. The Tigers pitching is just not, it's not there. And while they have that great lineup, you know, they got injuries with J.D. Martinez being out. And I, I just – I don't see with their pitching staff that they can hang either. The Twins are obviously way out of it, which basically leaves the Indians and the Royals. And you match up the Royals' starting rotation to the Indians' starting rotation, I think their best starter would be fifth. I don't, I, I don't even – I mean, like Ian Kennedy is their ace, right? I, I don't think that Ian Kennedy – Ian Kennedy and Josh Tomlin to me are not that far off. You know what I mean? Because right now to me – as much as I love what Tomlin's doing, I still think Bauer, you know, Bauer's got a higher ceiling, obviously. And the way Bauer's pitching, you know, if the playoffs started tomorrow, I would put him fourth. But knowing Tito, he would probably start Tomlin. But, I, you know, that, that Royals rotation just – you're not going to get on a, like a long winning streak when you have a rotation like that. Not to mention the fact that they got Moustakas, who's out for the year. Lorenzo Cain, you know, the other night came up lame, grabbed his uh, hamstring. Next morning, he was placed on the DL. You know, you don't know how long he's going to be out. You know, they, they have hold second base. You know, they, they they got a lot of question marks. Alex Gordon was having a horrible year until he just – and then went on the DL and he just came off. So, you know, I, I think that this is – the division is the Indians for the taking. And 
other than a, a, nothing short of a of a collapse is going to keep us from winning the division, in my opinion. You just said if if the Indians go 500 the rest of the way, they'll win 90 games, which is great. With their pitching staff, I feel like 500 would be a huge disappointment. Sure, I, and I agree. But you know what? What's yeah, I mean, yeah, this, that's something yeah. to shoot for. But that's, I mean, you got to think that that they're expecting to to finish way stronger than that. Sure, and I was just basically talking. You know, if if they even if they play 500 ball, they're going to win the division. I think the best part about this rotation is with all five guys basically pitching. You know, seven innings plus they're not going to get into any prolonged losing streaks. There's no possible I – mean, I just cannot see how they would lose five in a row or four in a row. Sure, they'll – you know, they could get swept and, and you know, the bats could go silent. They could lose, you know, three to two, two to one a bunch of times. But you're not going to get into a five, six, seven-game slide and cost yourself major ground in this division the way the, the, the starters are going. And I don't see how these starters are going to regress. I mean, Tomlin's always, you know, he throws a lot of strikes and – you know, you, you worry about him because of the home run ball, but it always seems every home run he gives up, which is seemingly every game, is a solo shot. He's, you know, so, you know, Bauer could fall off, but again, these top three are so terrific. I just don't know how they're going to go into any prolonged losing streaks. And it's really crazy that if you look at it, like I think I saw on Twitter today that the entire starting rotation combined is making $13.5 million this year. And, I think all of those guys are are locked up for a while, right? Every one of the guys in the rotation is locked up through 2020 at least, except for Tomlin, who has got a, a team option for. They have him. They had. They signed him in this offseason for two years and 5.5 per, which is a big nothing. I mean, if Tomlin hit the open market today, he's catching 10 to 12 million per, and he got a team option for him in 18. So basically, you got all five guys through 18. Four of the five, your top four through 2020. So you know this this has a this has all the makings of a long run, boys. That is music to my ears, and uh, I, I will tip my hat to the front office. I I know they catch some flack um, here and there uh, in the past. They have, but uh, they're definitely doing something right with uh, building this pitching staff. Just phenomenal. Let's talk about the lineup a little bit. Um, what have you seen as being uh, some of the biggest keys to uh, putting runs on the board so far? Okay. Well, first of all, I would say the fact that they're getting basically Michael Brantley-esque minus a little bit of power production from J-Ram, uh, Jose Ramirez has been the savior I mean, nobody saw this coming from Ramirez. I think we all thought he was going to be a terrific utility player. They'd move him all over the diamond. I envisioned him, you know, playing left, playing third, given second and short, you know, given Kipnis and Lindor blow here and there, uh, and, and, and you know, probably playing four to five days a week. When Brantley got hurt, you know, forced them to play Ramirez essentially as an everyday guy. And uh, with, you know, the, the Almonte suspension with Rajay playing mostly center and, you know, and then he had Naquin coming up. Ramirez has gotten so you know so many at bats, and he's he's been incredible. So between him, the production you've gotten from Napoli, which again, Napoli's been a great player. You know he had this was you know you, you hear this a million times from about a million players every offseason. He's in the best shape of his career. Napoli truly, they, you know, this is the healthiest he's been in about three years. If you would, you know, he's 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 staring forty and a hundred right now which is incredible he's been better than any of us could have hoped for he's given you the production that you thought brandon moss was going to give you last year he is the long-awaited right-handed power bat that we've been screaming for for years that's right the right-handed power nap i mean he is he's fantastic and then you know rajay davis again and i i tweeted this earlier tonight nobody saw this kind of production from him 35 years old leading the al in steals I think he's got uh, eight or nine home runs at this point. Uh, you know, he had that hot streak about three weeks ago. He's been terrific. You know, and Naquin, who who saw Naquin coming up and hitting, you know, 350? He's the, the Babip king. I mean, I've never seen someone hit like this. His his defense has been a, a little, you know, less than desirable. But but basically, the the front office has done, you know, every year, they 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 go with these one year guys and you throw them up against the wall and hope they stick. This year they all have stuck. It's crazy. Even you know even down to Jabba Chamberlain and Dan Otero in the bullpen, all of these guys have stuck. It's really been 
fantastic. Now, hopefully they can sustain this, but you know, you never know. But uh, you know, to jump out forty-seven and thirty like this, you know, you got to you got to tip your hat to the front office. They 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 did a great job this offseason. Trev, it sounded like you were about to jump in there. Go ahead. No, yeah, I was just gonna say I was just thinking of Tyler Naquin because he was that guy. They sent him back down to the minors earlier in the season, and you're and he was playing pretty well at the time. And you're like, well, okay. I mean. It, it, is that the right time to send him down? And Tito seems to push all the right buttons with that stuff. So you kind of just trust that he's making the right decision. But um, I mean, he came right back up and he's been playing lights out since he did. He's batting, I think close to 350 somewhere, somewhere in that area. I think he's got the highest average on the team. Obviously doesn't have as many at bats as a lot of guys, but if he can, if he can maintain anywhere near where he's at at the plate, that's great. Um, Yeah. Like uh, TD said, he's, his fielding leaves something to be desired, but um, you have to think that that'll come around eventually, um, how about, and it's how about not his, killing you. How about his 991 OPS heading into tonight? I mean, is that yeah, nuts? Not bad. <laughs> that not is bad. Not, not not bad for a guy who you know they say <laughs> didn't have a lot of power. I mean, that's right. that's terrific. And and think about this, Trav. If Bird doesn't get suspended, Naquin's probably in AAA still. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's. I mean, he obviously he's sort of out of sight, out of mind. Uh, same with uh, Abraham Amante, um, two guys that I think everybody expected to have a pretty big role on this team, and now you know they're they're cruising along. Same with Brantley. If you look at the guys that uh, early in the season or at the beginning of the season who we expected to be, you know, big parts of this team, some of them are I mean just completely out the window, not even in the picture at all, and they're just playing far better than anybody expected him to. So it's, it's awesome right now. And you just have to hope that it's not just sort of a, a, a one month fluke or something like that. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about Almonte because his suspension, I believe is going to be coming up here pretty soon. And uh, uh, TD, as you mentioned, you got all these other guys in the outfield right now that are really producing. And it feels like with the way Naquin's been playing, it really wouldn't make that much sense to be sending him down again. When El Monte comes off the, the, uh, the suspended list there, what, uh, what do you do with him? I, I heard an interview today with Mike uh, Chernoff and he had, you know, he had mentioned uh, El Monte and that, you know, they had plans for him. And, you know, right now the way the rotation is pitching the eight-man bullpen is about the most worthless thing you could have. There's no reason to have eight men in the pen. So, you know, if, if I'm if I'm Mike Chernoff and Chris Antonetti and Terry Francona, what I, here's what I'm doing. I'm DFAing either Tommy Hunter or Manship, and I'll bring up Almonte. I would let him play some center field, mix and match him around, uh, you know, and see how it goes. I personally think they won't do that, and I think they're actually going to – he still has an option left. So they got to clear a spot on the 40-man roster. They'll bring put him on, and I to me, I think they'll probably just keep him in AAA for now. I don't know how you can send Naquin down. I really don't with the way he's hitting. Yeah, his defense has been <clears throat> close to brutal. But, you know, that, that, that ball the other night in Atlanta that he overran in with two outs in the ninth was, you know, horrific and – I, I looked at that play and I said, you know what? When he gets sent down for Almonte, we're going to remember this play. But I I just don't know how you can send Naquin out the way he's hitting the ball. And he, and the speed, too, on the base path. That's another totally under, uh, undersold part of this improvement with this Indians team. They're, they're stealing bases like no team that I can remember since, you know, probably Lofton and Vizquel were stealing bases. They're they're all over the base pass. They're smart base running. They're taking the extra base, and they have speed up and down that lineup. When when Davis is out there and Naquin's out there, Lindor, Kipnis. I mean, you got guys that are moving. So I just don't know how you're going to send them down. But I, I got to you know, I don't know. I think I think at some point we'll see Almonte. I just I'm hoping that they either you know DFA one of these relievers they don't need they don't need or uh, keep Almonte in AAA. Well, not to further complicate matters, but uh, another outfielder who could be hopefully rejoining the team sooner than later, Michael Brantley. I think we've only seen him for about 11 games this year, but um, I, I do think he is uh, rehabbing. Last I had heard, it sounds like might be starting to get close. Uh, do we think we're going to see him sooner than later? All right, so 
about a week and a half ago, someone who I trust, who, who is, who's very knowledgeable with the situation said, they're very, there's a, there's a concern that he's not going to be back for a long time. And a trade for an outfielder is imminent. Now, again, that was probably 10 days ago. You know, you hear all these things about his rehab and he's coming along. I don't think we're going to see him until September, August at the earliest. You know, here's the thing. The way they're playing, there's no need to rush him. I know if you're going to need him in October, obviously, and trust me, this I want Michael Brantley back. Don't get anybody, don't get me wrong. He's He's the best player on the team. I want him back. But there is no they rushed him the last time and look at what happened. I think they are going to be very, very certain before they bring him back. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see him until September, late August or September. So when that happens, you know, in September, it's an expanding of the roster and it's not a big deal. If Brantley were healthy right now, yeah, you can send Naquin down. I, I can understand that. Um, but I, I just I don't know. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see when he comes back. It, let's say let's say August first, he's one hundred percent healthy, and they bring and and he's ready to come back. It'll be very interesting to see how Tito juggles all these guys. It also will be interesting to see if Lonnie's still hitting the way he is at this at at that point in the season, and if Ramirez is still hitting the way he is, and Naquin's still hitting the way he is. You kind of wonder how they'd be handling the Brantley thing if they weren't, you know, six seven games up in the division and playing lights out, and you know. The offense seems to be it, – it's weird because if you you look at the offense and you watch a game, it seems like they're putting up three, four, five runs every game and they're, the, the offense is clicking. But if you look at their offensive stats, they're not – none of the individual guys is, you know, jumps off the page at you. Obviously, Lindor's having a hell of a season, but overall, it just seems like – Every night, it's a different guy that kind of jumps up for you and, and, and gets a timely hit or something like that, which is great. Um, you kind of wonder if Brantley was healthy or say he was close, does does working him back in and, and maybe sending someone like Naquin down, does that mess with that chemistry? Or, you know, especially two months down the road, say that they're still playing really well two months down the road, if he's better um, at the end of August, early September how does that mess with what you've already been building on all season? Hopefully it doesn't, but I, I feel like personally, I feel like that's one of those things that's sort of overblown and people always make more out of that than it really merits. But the way that they're playing right now, you almost don't want to mess with, with, with what they have too much. So um, I don't want to say Brantley not being there is good because it's not, but I think we're seeing it from Naquin and is, is, I don't know, is there anyone else that could even be sent down for him? Like, uh, I know Michael Martinez is still up, I think right now, right? Would he make sense yes. to send down instead of Naquin? Cause Naquin is playing so well. The, the only problem is you're leaving yourself real short there in terms of, you know, guys who can play other positions. You're basically at that point, Ramirez is your only guy who can move around the diamond and everybody else is a one spot guy. Um, I I mean I think Michael you know they could they could send out Michael Martinez when they bring up Almonte too I mean to be honest I wouldn't be you know Tito loves those multiple position guys so couldn't Jose Ramirez do that if they bring Brantley up to go in the outfield couldn't yeah though Ramirez that's what I, jump that, that, into those infield positions oh yeah that's what I was saying but you're leaving yourself short uh, in terms of Ramirez is the only guy who can move around the diamond and I know they like having multiple guys that can do it like. Last year you had Avilas and, and and Ramirez together. Now he's got, you know, that's why that's why Martinez is up with with Ramirez if you think about it. But you know, it's a nice problem to have that we're you know hoping that our best player comes back and <laughs> well to to, to uh, you know build on our, our our six game lead that we have now. And I don't know. I mean, Martinez is obviously the guy you can get rid of, but I don't know. I, I knowing Tito and the way he likes flexibility, I feel like he'd keep him around, but. You think Naquin would be the more likely guy to go down then? Probably, but oh, if we could only have one extra roster spot. <laughs> like, yeah. Can we just like hide one in the uh, locker room, you know, and well, just change it day by day? Well, to to me, and this goes back to El Monte. Let's just say, let's just put El Monte in AAA, and let's say Brantley comes back again. I go back to the fact that you do not need an eight man pen. There's no yeah, reason. I mean, I saw something today. Um, uh, Zach McAllister who has thrown seven pitches in 14 days. It's crazy. Seven pitches in 14 days, right? And 
the other night, um, what night was that? Where whoever the starter was went seven, and he basically, you know, he used Manship and Gorzolani. No, he went six. I think it was. I think it was Tomlin went six. He used Manship and Gorzolani in the seven. You know, only reason he did that was basically because they needed work. You know, he he, he didn't need to match up. And then you know, he used job. We took a bigger lead. Jabba pitched the ninth. I mean, these guys are rotting out there. There's no reason to have all of them. The only problem is none of them have options. You can't – Otero's here to stay. He's not going anywhere. Jabba's been good. But, again, that's somebody who has no options left. Manship's got no options left. McAllister's got no options left. Hunter's got no options left. <coughs> Excuse me. So one of those guys is going to eventually have to get DFA'd. And to me, Hunter or Manship would be the guys I would get rid of. One of those two. All right, so we had talked a lot about uh, about Brantley and and Omonte and all these other guys that could be, um, you know, figuring into the mix here. I, I think the other thing that we're going to have to be looking at is we're only about a month away from the trade deadline, and it definitely seems like the Indians are going to be buyers. Um, how much does Brantley's injury situation shape what the Indians are going to do at the trade deadline, TD and? What do you see as being their biggest priorities in terms of trades? You know, it's an interesting two-part question. The first part of it, I think you, regardless of Brantley, you have to bring in another outfielder because I don't know if they have any idea what he's going to be like. I don't think he's going to be totally healthy at all until next year. You know, you just don't know. So if you want to get – I mean, there are two schools of thought. The other, the other school of thought is you can go for – you know, a third baseman, but there's not a lot out there in the third base in, in the, uh, in the trade market. I mean, I know that there's been some talk that Evan Longoria is unhappy in Tampa, but if you look at his contract, you know, he's, he's going to be making $20 million a year for the next, you know, four or five years. And, you know, we both, we all know that, uh, that's something, not something the Indians are going to take on. And I can't see Tampa Bay trading their, the face of their franchise, regardless of what's going on. So, you know, uh, when 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 I look at now, when I look at what the biggest need is, if you would have asked me three weeks ago, I would have told you you got to get a corner outfielder with pop. Uh, but today, I would tell you that high leverage reliever is should be number one priority, and preferably a lefty. Uh, the, uh, the the the, the trade scenario that I've been putting out on, on, on Twitter the last few days, what I would like to see was an a, a trade with the A's for a combo of left-handed reliever Sean Doolittle and outfielder Josh Reddick. Reddick being a rental, he's a free agent at the end of the year. Doolittle's got uh, a, a contract that controls him for at least uh, two more years, and I think he's a terrific you know, high-leverage late inning. He used to close for the A's when they were good a couple years ago. Today... Doolittle was placed on the DL. Yeah, with, he just won on the 15 day today, didn't he? Yeah, with shoulder problems. So I'm changing my tune on that one. But <laughs> they still, I still think you got to get a high leverage reliever to help Shaw and Cody out there. You know, they, uh, you know, those guys, those two, while they they are, you know, still the guys you got to count on. I feel like every time they're out there, they're putting guys on base before they get people out, and that's you know. I'm thinking long term October here. You got you know, there's a lot of guys out there in the bullpen, but who are you who can you really right now feel comfortable about? I, I would ask either of you, who are you who are you comfortable with with a one run lead? You know, in, in right now, if I'm telling you it's game one of the ALCS and we gotta take a one nothing lead and we got a run run lead in the sixth and the starters gotta come out, who are you comfortable with? Not Jabba, because I know the damn midges are going to come back. <laughs> um, it'll be a flashback, and I, I just don't know if he could handle that again. I mean, th- that's that's the problem. I mean, you, you look up and you say to yourself, okay, right now Dan Otero's probably pitching the seventh, right? But again, that's a guy you picked up off the scrap heap, and he has been good, but it's not like they've tested him that many times in the seventh. McAllister has struggled. They get out of that role. I do not like Tommy Hunter at all. Not a fan. Manship, last year he was awesome. But again, the guy was a career journeyman who found lightning in a bottle for a year. And like Scott Atchison that one year, and then the next year they brought him back and he was a gas can and eventually got rid of him. I see the same thing for Manship. I wouldn't trust him in a high leverage situation either. You know, Tom Gorzolani was a, you know, 
you know, he's a failed starter. He's, you know, he was in triple A. He's the guy's been up for like two weeks. I, I can't trust him. So I'd like to see them maybe go to Arizona and look at, you know, they have Brad Ziegler, their closer. He's a side armor. He's terrific. Either look at him uh, or Daniel Hudson, who's, you know, throwing 98 after two jo- Tommy John surgeries as their setup man. Maybe, maybe you can pry one of those two guys, if not both. I mean, you could also talk about shooting for the stars and go into the Yankees when the Yankees who are delusional thinking they can hang around and say, what is it going to cost to get me Andrew Miller? I mean, imagine if you had Andrew Miller or a role as Chapman out there with Cody and, and Shaw. I mean, that's lethal. That, actually, that, that was what I was going to ask you is, are you comfortable with trying to just go after setup men and, and sticking with Cody at the back end of the bullpen? Or uh, would you want to see the Indians uh, kind of go for it and, and try to get a closer and maybe shift uh, Cody Allen into a setup role for like the eighth inning? The only closer that I would want that's available would be if they got uh, Aroldis Chapman. I would put him in the ninth. But I think Andrew Miller, if you got him, I would I would rather have him set up and, you know, situationally, depending on where you are in the lineup and, you know, let him and Shaw basically, you know, you know, pick the seventh and the eighth and whatever spots. But yeah, I'm fine with Cody. You know, he's only blown one save. I'm I'm fine. He's putting too many guys on, but I, I'm fine with him. When Cody is a big, the the you know, one of the things with him is he's got to pitch regularly to stay sharp. I mean, some of these guys are fine with it, but if you notice, you see Cody a lot of times when he takes four days off, he's all over the place. But when he pitches three times in four days, he is on. I mean, so I, I would rather, you know, I like him in the ninth inning role, to be honest with you. Uh, but again, Aroldis Chapman, he's he's a rental, so maybe he doesn't cost that much. I mean, it's going to cost you something, obviously. But I I would prefer it if if any of these trades that they made did not involve three guys: Zimmer, Frazier, and Bobby Bradley. Anybody else to me is go for it. And I would trade either. I would trade Zimmer maybe. If you told me I was going to get an, uh, uh, you know, a superstar player, I mean, when we're, the names we're talking about, Jay Bruce, Josh Reddick, you know, relievers, you don't trade your top guys for the, for for you know guys like that. You don't, you just don't. And if you do, you better win a World Series. <laughs> yeah, I've seen Ryan Braun's name thrown out there a little bit too, and I'm not sure he's even. I don't think he's even that much of an upgrade over like. Um, over the guys you just mentioned, I think he's probably right in that class, maybe a notch ahead of him. But, yeah, I'm with you. Those top three or four prospects, I don't think you should be moving them if you don't need to. But I mean, I, LeBron the is, way they're playing, I just don't think you want to – I don't yeah. think you want to reach on guys like that, give up too much. Braun to Cleveland is never going to happen because of his contract. I mean, he's he's got four years and $80 million plus left, and there's no way we're taking that on. And, and the Brewers aren't the type of team that's going to eat that money either. So – I, that, that's, you know, Ryan Braun is, is, oh my God, I'd love him, but it's just not happening. You put Ryan Braun in right field right now. I mean, I'd sign up for that all day, but I just not, not for the, not for that price tag. No way. All right. So we've mentioned Longoria and Ryan Braun as being two guys with contracts that are just going to be not realistic with the Indians uh, payroll, but it does seem like they would be willing to take on some money, right? Sure, I think they definitely w- w- are willing to. They've said so that that they're willing to take on some money. And you know what? I'm listen. I am, you know, I, I can't stand the Dolan's cheap crowd, but you know, I think it would go a long way to shutting these people up if you did add a big salary player. I don't think it's that necessary, though. I really don't. I mean, if you get locked into a bet, I mean, the, the last four times we've gotten locked into a big bad uh, bad salary, you know, big it, it's been terrible. You know, Bourne and Swisher were were horrible. I mean, the, the, I still say the Swisher signing was worth it because, you know, kind of brought a little you know uh, pizzazz to the team. <coughs> Excuse me, when they had Tito, and you know the first year, and and I think it was something from a PR standpoint that was needed, and we got to the playoffs, so it was worth it. But. Born and Swisher were disasters. The Travis Hafner extension was a disaster. And Jake Westbrook, while he was worth the money, year one he blew out his elbow. And by the you know, he he did net as Corey Kluber. I'll give him that. So I just I just can't see them. You know, you may they may like a okay, Jay Bruce. 
Guy's got a club option next year for uh, I think it's either you know it's either thirteen or fourteen million something like that. I could see them taking that on and deciding whether or not to pick up the club option for next year, and I think they would because big money for two years or a year and a half is not that big of a deal. Big money for four or five years is a big deal. You know, there's no that's what they say in baseball. There's no such thing as a, a bad one year contract. So if 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 I got to take on Jay Bruce at 17 million for one more year, I'm fine with that. As long as I'm not giving up a crazy, you know, top prospect for it. All right. So now you mentioned there's like three or four guys in the in the minor league system for the Indians that you kind of feel are untouchable. That said, they do seem to have quite a few assets for once that might actually still be able to net something that are tradable, right? Who are some of those guys that might be in line to to get moved if the Indians want to uh, make some sort of an upgrade at the major league level? Well, looking at you know it again, it all depends on how high of a level you're 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 willing to go. Like to me, the package should start with Eric Gonzalez, who's your AAA shortstop. He's got a major league glove right now. At the end of next year, he'll be out of options. The end of 2017, he'll be out of options. He's totally blocked. He came up around the same time as Ramirez and Lindor and was jumped. He's a very good defensive player. He's got a nice you know nice bat. I'm putting him in any package. Like he's a starter. Obviously, Mike Clevenger is another guy that, you know, you don't want to deal from your depth of starting pitching because at this point, if one of those guys goes down, Clevenger is your guy to come up. But you can't just, you know, you got to give something to get something. So Clevenger, Eric Gonzalez, you, you, you know, Francisco Mejia, who's, you know, your catcher of the future, who is in, they moved him up to high A. He was at Lake County, just moved up to high A. That's somebody that, you know, again, they probably don't want to move, but you might hear his name uh, um, out there in, in uh, you know, trade talks too. Uh, after that, you know, obviously, I, I, like I said, I don't want to look at Bobby Bradley. Adam Plutko, who has moved up to the AAA rotation, you know, from UCLA, is, a, is, is another arm you might see in the mix there. Um, you know, other than that, again, I, I think we're, we're, we don't need to talk about you know, 10 guys, because in, in, unless you're going for a giant deal, you're really only going to give up basically one B, you know, one B prospect and the rest, you know, see in, you know, lo lower prospects than that. So, you know, I would say the guys I mentioned, one of those five guys, if not two will probably be dealt if they make a big deal. Fair enough. All right. Uh, as we kind of start to wind down here, um, you know, we kind of went around the horn in the American League Central. As we look at the American League overall, uh, which teams do you think um, pose the biggest threat uh, in terms of standing between the Indians and uh, trying to win their first pennant in 19 years? Well, the number one team to me is Texas. They came in here and they took two or three from, from the Indians, and I went to two of the games. And that lineup is, you know, there are no holes in that lineup. They are terrific. You know, uh, you know, their rookie Nomar Mazar is having a great season. And, you know, Beltre is, is you know, guy seems like he's never he, never getting old. He, he's great. And, you know, Prince Fielder's starting to hit more. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I, you know, Elvis Andrews is having a much better year. Um, you know, I, I uh, you know, obviously that uh, their second baseman, uh, Rugnet Odor, having a breakout year after, you know, he's not just, it's not just a punch in the face guy. He's also. having a punch out year as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they, they, you know, when, when healthy, their rotation, their top three in their rotation with Cole Hamels and Darvish and, and, and Colby Lewis is very formidable. That said, Darvish is coming off of Tommy John and he's back on the DL again. Colby Lewis is out for, for eight weeks as well. I mean, Cole Hamels has been terrific, but that team scares me the most. I don't buy the Orioles. <coughs> they're like they're like the tribe teams of the 90s where I just don't see enough pitching there. They just, uh, you know, th they're mashing, uh but you know, come October, I mean, how many how many 10 to 9 games are you playing in October? You know, it's it's more 3-1, 3-2 than 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 the high-scoring uh, uh game. So I don't really buy into the Orioles. I mean, they have the same record as the Indians, but you know, good you know, good two guys at the back end of their pen with uh, Brad Brock and, uh, and and Zach Britton. But uh, I don't really buy into them. And in the East, right now, you know, Boston doesn't. Boston's got David Price, Rick Porcello, 
and a bunch of nobodies, and Porcello w- would be the Indians' fourth starter at best. So, you know, I, I to me, it's, it's 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 the Indians or the Rangers. That that's that's the two teams that are that are gonna one of those two teams to me is gonna be coming out of the American League. Fair enough. All right, uh, Trev. Anything else you want to chime in here? No, I think he's it, Boston is probably the one I see coming out of the East. I, I agree with him. I'm not sure Baltimore has staying power. Um, Boston still hits the ball really well. They score a ton of runs. Um, I don't know if their pitching is good enough on the back end of that rotation to keep them in, uh, keep them in a race, but their lineup is as good as any, I think, um, which will always give you a chance, but I I have to agree. I don't think anyone from the East is really a huge threat just because none of them have the, uh, have the pitching that you need late in the season to do that. So, um, yeah, he's right on with Texas too. Obviously Texas is, um, as complete a team as I think we've seen this year. Um, but a lot of the depth, I mean, I feel like a lot of the hype this year has been in the NL. So for sure, a lot of the attentions over there, especially on, uh, the way the Cubs are playing right now, obviously they're just lighting the world on fire. And so, I mean, I don't know. I think the AL is kind of prime for a team like Cleveland to just keep playing consistent ball. They don't necessarily have to be, um, lights out every night to keep winning games and that sort of plays into their hand and we've seen time and time again once it gets to October it's really about who has the best pitching and the Indians I feel like the Indians are rotating a lineup with anybody's well the Indians don't necessarily have to be lights out every single night the rest of the way but as long as they want to keep playing like this I'm not going to complain because uh, this has been pretty damn fun to watch so far and has uh, made for a really nice transition from basketball season so yeah, I was thinking today. When's the last time that the Browns were far and away the like the the third option for people to talk about in Cleveland? Never. <laughs> yeah, this this might be uncharted territory. Because I mean, you listen. I bet if you listened to last year after the Cavs were done in the finals, I will bet you that um, average sports talk radio show one in three calls was calling in to talk about who you know who the Browns just drafted and who was going to start at quarterback and all this shit that in reality, no one should care about because let's be honest, that team doesn't really deserve people's attention in town, but it gets it. <laughs> that's another story. Right? That's, that's another that's story a, for that's another a whole day. Different show. Exactly. Been fighting um, that, we've been fighting that battle oh, too. Try, try no first kidding. guys. We try, we, we fight that battle, you know, way oh, too Tino, long. Tino and I have had this discussion many times uh, for whatever reason, the Cavs, and the tribe have like the harshest critics, but no one gives a damn if the Browns ever show any progress whatsoever. They all show up and they all just go crazy and it frustrates me to no end. But right now it's nice to see that the, the other two teams in town are uh, making the best of this opportunity, to get themselves some attention. Well, if, uh, if all goes according to plan, uh, the Indians can continue rolling along like they have. And, I think the World Series would wrap up right around the time that the NBA season for 2016-2017 would be tipping off, and we can keep the Browns right on the back burner straight through into uh, the draft uh, next April, and uh, everybody wins. Wouldn't be the worst thing ever. No. Uh, All right, uh, as we wrap up here, TD, anything else uh, that you wanted to chime in with? No, I I appreciate you guys having me on. I just hope the Indians can keep this up and – you know, I, I just I, I hope that people I know I've seen a lot about the, the crowds. They're expecting a big crowd on July 4th and they're expecting a lot of 30,000 pluses in this in this last homestand before, um, you know, the all star break. I just I hope that they can keep this up and they go on another, you know, tear this last week before the all star break and really get into there with some momentum because, you know, they're nine and zero against the Tigers. They've owned them. You got them come to town. And this is as bad of a Yankee team as there's been in a long time. No time like the present to, to, you know, capture more fans' attention by, you know, rolling along and getting big crowds. And I know I'm I'm going, I'll be there uh, the 5th, the 7th, the 9th, and the 10th. So <laughs> I'm doing my part as always. We just hope everybody else can can join me. I'm uh, nice. I'm bringing my dad down there on uh, the the Friday night against the the Yankees. I don't know if that's the eighth or the ninth off the top of yeah, my head, the, but the eighth. Yep. There you go. Yeah, we'll we'll be down there for that one. Looking forward to it. Uh, should be a good time. And you know, I'm glad you mentioned the crowds. I I don't like dwelling on the whole attendance thing. I feel like it's one of those topics that's just gotten beaten into the ground. But I will say this that uh, you know the 
it always seems like the Indians get a bit of a bump once the school year lets out, and it seems like more families are able to get down there. It's easier for them during the summertime, and the attendance in general, especially on weeknights, is better during the summer than during the first couple months and, and during September when it when school's back in session. So hopefully that'll help uh, give them a little bit of a bump here over the next couple of months. And uh, just the other thing, you know, it, it seems like on the occasions that the Indians have had big crowds down there this year, they've performed really well, which doesn't sound like it should be a thing, but that has been a major stumbling block for the Indians. And I think it's been one of the biggest things that's uh, shot them in the foot in terms of trying to sustain any sort of momentum at the gate is uh, in the occasions when they would draw really well in past years, it seems like, all right, we finally got 30,000 people down here. And then they come out and get shellacked like seven to one. And uh, they've, they've done much better with that and, and rising to the occasion in the big moments. And it's been fun to watch. It has. And you're 100% right. It was, it was like the jinx of the 30,000 plus every it's true. Like, I remember uh, a couple years ago, I went on July 4th and it was a sellout and they got shut out by the Tigers. Like every time they seemed to just a big crowd showed up, they would, you know, wet themselves. But this year, you know, the Cavs have won the championship. Anything is possible. You know what I mean? Like the worm has turned, man. I I really it's, it's all been lifted. It really has. I'll I'll keep saying it all summer long. This is life in the new era of the city of champions, man. That's right. Love it. Good Love stuff. It. TD, let me ask you real quick. I just I just took a glance at your uh, Twitter profile here. Um, are you more excited for Indians playoffs or the Josh Jackson farewell tour? <laughs> well, listen, Tribe Tribe is my number one and always will be. Um, there, there's nothing more important to me. I mean, I have I have my kids. They're healthy. They're they're beautiful. I have a you know, my wife's the best ever. You know, I got a, I got a good job. My li- my life's good. I got no complaints. I mean, sure, who want, who doesn't want more money? But in the end, the, the only thing left for me at this point, I, I need that Indians World Series. So that's that's still number one. Um, but when it comes to uh, KU basketball, they're definitely ahead of the Browns and ahead of the Cavs for me. Um, I, I I I have I don't miss a game. Uh, I travel to a lot of road games. I go to the tournament every year. You know, I, I was at the I was at the I went to Louisville with my wife and kids for the Villanova game. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what Josh Jackson's like. Hopefully he's the what what Andrew Wiggins was supposed to be, you know, an alpha dog, you know, leader on the floor, not just, you know, showing up when he wants to show up and then disappearing when he wants to disappear. I've seen some pretty uh, some pretty high praise of him that is reserved for for very few, very select high school players. So if uh if he can live up to even half of that, you guys should have a pretty decent season down there in Kansas. Let, let, let's let's hope so. I'm I, I need another Final Four. It's been too long since our last one. So, well, uh, we have referenced your Twitter account a few times tonight. Make sure I have uh, the handle correct. It is uh, TD One Tribe KU. Correct. Yep, you got it. That's the one. Perfect. Uh, anything else you want to plug while you're on here to our uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of listeners? <laughs> no, no. Um, I, yeah. All my, twi- my my tribe Twitter peeps, you know, I, I love interacting with all of them, you know, during the game, whether it's uh, my girls uh, sports yelling, brutal Stephanie, you know, <laughs> I mean, we, there's, there's, there's so many people that I talk to during, during these games. Now it's great. We have our, we have our little community of about, I don't know, 25 you know there's probably about 50 i'd say but i love i love everybody in 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 tribe twitter how ingrained are you in in like the cleveland twitterverse i'm tribe twitter i'm deep Cavs twitter i'm nowhere browns you know i'm i'm somewhere in the middle who's your who's your least favorite oh my god my least favorite cleveland, cleveland twitter person the Cle- cleveland twitter celebrity like in terms of who do I think is bad at Twitter or who do I find annoying? I mean, that there's, there's, who, I mean, who, who talks I, the most and says the least? Oh God, you really put me on the spot. This feels all. like I, a very leading question, Travis. I'm slightly nervous to you know, know where you're going with this. Tom, Val, Tom Valentino. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, who t- okay. Well, I can tell you who talks the most. Hiram Boyd. Thank you. There yeah, it is. I mean, there you go. No one can't talks even more. tell you how much he talks anymore. He blocked me, but 
Yeah, I don't I don't follow him to be honest, but he pops up in my timeline. He's all you got to do is when you know that when someone's tweeted like 1.5 million times, it's it's probably time to put it away. Scene number. Yeah, yeah. No, I got I got lots of favorites. I love sports. Nom, my man Jeff. He's he's awesome. Hipster Tito. That's my boy. I mean, you know, there's there's it's just it's funny. It's it's become such a huge like Twitter the the communal experience with Twitter and. And watching sporting events has, is, is so great. It takes away from the game partially, but I also enjoy going through and talking to people. And, you know, with, with my time at waiting for next year and, you know, I got, I got, you know, a lot more followers than I deserve. And, and, you know, it's just nice. I met a lot of cool people through it and, you know, everyone pretty much wants the same thing. We all just want our teams to win. So it's cool. All right. Excellent stuff, man. Uh, TD, I really appreciate you joining us. We're going to have to do this again uh, maybe as uh, we get closer uh, to the end of the season. Uh, hopefully, uh, maybe we could talk uh, postseason. Oh, that'd be fantastic. From your lips to God's ears, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, everybody, we appreciate you uh, checking out our show as always. You can always catch uh, past episodes on our website, thenailpodcast.com. Uh, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes and Google Play Music and Stitcher. And um, you can follow us on Twitter at The Nail Podcast or uh, like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast. And uh, we will be back uh, probably next week. We'll we'll see how it's going there. Uh, hopefully we're uh, not uh, too worn out from uh, all the uh, 4th of July barbecues that uh, I'm sure will be taking place this weekend. But uh, should be a good time. So uh, our thanks again to TD Derry for joining us here tonight uh, and for Travis Uli. This is Tom Valentino, and this has been The Nail in the Coffin. We will talk to you again soon. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning or have never even heard of paddle, or Padel, as it's called in North America. This is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with a pro tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!